Hey, good morning. Once again, New City. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let me go ahead and invite you to pull those out and let's go straight to the book of Colossians. And we're going to be in chapter three this morning, Colossians chapter three. Uh, We are finishing today our series entitled Home Isn't Canceled and the idea that we are called to pursue gospel nearness even though we find ourselves in what uh, maybe more than ever feels like a socially distant world. Um, you know, I'll tell you for myself, every week that we have gone through one of these different passages, um, I've been humbled, but also encouraged by just the reality of going, man, this word, this scripture was, was for me. I, you know, I needed this. And um, it's also been a huge blessing as a number of you guys have reached out to me throughout the week and said, man, similar things like what you said there, that what the scripture said there, I needed to hear that. That was just for me. And and I pray that uh, once again this morning that Colossians chapter three uh, speaks to you personally and challenges you and encourages you and and gives you fresh life um, in the scripture this morning. You know, as as followers of Jesus or as disciples of Jesus, as the scripture puts it, we're gonna face these types of challenges uh, all the time. And I wanna remind us at the outset that following Christ and living for him, it only works if the foundation underneath all of it is God's redeeming love for us, that's gotta be the foundation. That's gotta be at the center. Um, It's his love that justifies us. It's his love that sanctifies us. It's his love that moves us from death to resurrection. It's it's his love that moves us from slavery to freedom. Uh, And if we've been made new in Christ, then everything changes because of what he has done in us by his grace, by his power. Uh, We can, as we're going to see this morning, we can put off the old life and begin to experience and live out the new life in Christ. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter three this morning. I'm going to begin in verse one. I'm going to read all the way through verse 17. So hang with me as we read. The scripture says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these... The wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's take a moment and let's just open again in a word of prayer together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is holy. It is perfect. And Lord, it is a message of love. It is a message of truth, but it's also a message of of repentance and a call to new life, Lord, the joy of new life. And so would you open our hearts and our minds that we might focus our, our minds on things that are above, Lord, the truth of your word this morning. We pray in humility this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Three simple applications I want to give us from this very long and very powerful word from Paul in Colossians this morning. They are these. Number one, you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Number two, put off the old life because in Christ you have died to it. And number three, put on the new life because in Christ you have been resurrected to it. So number one, the scripture begins here by reminding us of that foundational truth in the gospel. You have been raised with Christ. And I want to read those four opening verses again, just so we can let this saturate. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, brothers and sisters, your resurrection has given you a new identity in Christ. We have so many conversations about who am I? What is my identity? And the scripture tells us, believer, you were dead. And now alive. Believer, you were guilty and now your identity is forgiven. Believer, your debt was paid in full. Your sin was nailed to someone else's cross. Your old life has died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ and given new life. Listen to Colossians chapter 2 in this same reality. Paul wants to drive it home and we need to hear it this morning. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So here is the the reality. Who I am in Christ then is the foundation for what I do in Christ. We can't mix those two up. Many of you maybe heard of John Newton. John Newton was born in 1725. And John was born to a Christian mother and what he described as an irreligious father who was a sailor. His mother actually died when he was only six years old. And Newton described himself as having grown up as a debauched sailor and a miserable outcast. That was how he saw himself. When he was 23 years old, he nearly drowned on a ship and that experience led him to actually begin to pray for the first time in in years. He says, I began to pray, but I could not utter yet a prayer of faith. I could not draw near to a reconciling God and call him father. 
He does say of this time, though, that in his life, he began to see changes. For example, he says he stopped cussing and he he no longer considered himself what he called an infidel. But look at these words from John Newton. I want to read these to you here and take a look at this. He says this, thus to all appearance, I was a new man. I acknowledged the Lord's mercy in pardoning what was past, but depended chiefly on my own resolution to do better for the time to come. I cannot consider myself to have been a believer till a considerable time afterwards. Now, here's where this really gets profound and challenging for us. After this moment of him praying, he recognizes that some things had changed, but there still wasn't that, that faith, that foundation. It is at this moment in his life, after that prayer, that he went on to become the captain of a ship that carried slaves across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of an African-American slave-trading ship. So he's captaining a ship for years now in which human beings are being stuffed into the bottom of a, of a ship, being denied on every level their humanity. This is a ship that profited off the buying and the selling of human beings. And this is what he now has become. Uh, but he says in his later years, in his mature years, as a believer later on, he says, I came to feel deep sorrow, deep repentance, um, specifically for my participation in the slave trade. He went on, if you know anything about his history, he went on to to join William Wilberforce in opposing slavery and was a huge part of bringing slavery to an end in the British Empire. But here's what's going on here. He tried to put off the old life and to put on the new life without ever experiencing what it meant to be raised with Christ. Now, eventually, Later on in life, as I already mentioned, he found that grace. He came to understand what it meant to be raised with Christ. And at that point, he actually went on to pastor a church for 40 years. And one particular moment, he was preaching, he was preparing a sermon for a New Year's Day sermon, and he wrote a song to go along with that sermon. And the lyrics of that song are this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He finally came to understand what it meant to be resurrected and given grace in Jesus Christ. See, new life begins. New life begins when you cry out to God for his amazing grace and that he would bring the change in your life that you cannot bring on your own. That you can declare, I've been raised with Christ The scripture goes on here and says that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that you are united with Jesus in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his reign. That you have died to sin spiritually. That you have resurrected to life spiritually. That you've been set free from slavery to sin. Set free from the guilt of your sin. Released from the law of sin and death, dead now to the ways of the world and alive with Christ in heaven. And so he says, when Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's why Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With that foundation now, the scripture calls us to two challenges, two applications, two changes to our life. So number two, it says, put off the old life because in Christ you have died to it. Listen now to verses five through 11 that says again, put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul makes it very clear in the scripture, put to death what is earthly in you. You died to those sins, therefore put them to death. You have been made new in Christ. In other words, become what you are now. Cooperate with the transformative power of what God is already at work doing within you. Listen to, listen to how Romans explains this to us. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So in this passage now, we get two very clear sets of instructions, each one with five sins that we are told, put these to death. He says sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, which means any kind of sexual sin. It says be rid of impurity, which is any kind of moral corruption. It says be rid of passion, which is another word for lust. It says be rid of evil desire, which is any kind of a love or an affection towards sin. It says, be done with covetousness, which is greed, sinfully wanting what other people have. It says, all of this is idolatry. And idolatry is simply putting something else besides God in that place, that central place, putting some other thing in the place that only God should be in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. It says, put away them all. Then he comes to the second list. He says, if the first... Or understand here that if that first list is kind of secret sins, sins that we're ashamed of, that we do in private, in hiding maybe, the second list is community sins. These are sins that affect very immediately everybody and are sins against others. Anger, wrath, malice. These are attitudes that lead to angry words and even angry actions. Slander, which is blasphemy against God. And obscene talk, which is tearing down other people. He says, do not lie to one another. In all of this, I think it's important for us to step back and recognize that secret sins become community sins. 
You know, one of the lies that Satan loves to tell us is I'm not hurting anybody else. My sin, I'm not hurting anybody but me. But we are reminded here from scripture and our nation would do wise to take a lesson here. You don't sin in a box. When you sin, it affects other people. When you worship idols, when you become addicted, when you become enslaved to besetting sins, you become angry, you become hurtful, and your sin affects everyone else. And as we're thinking even today about family, about the home, remember that, that our sin, done secretly or publicly, it hurts oftentimes our family the first, our family most. You know, I want to think about that for a second. Just the reality that we've all lived for the last several months of being stuck at home to one degree uh, or another. And many of, of the stories that we're hearing, many of the statistics that we've heard over the last several months is that things like alcoholism and pornography are radically on the rise as people are stuck home. You know, a, a verse that's been so powerful in my life is Jeremiah 2.13 that says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fount of living water, but they've also gone to these other cisterns, these other jars of water that are empty, that hold no water. I'm reminded that especially in these crazy times, that I need daily the fountain of living water in my life and everything else is an empty jar. So whether for you it may be sexual sin, maybe it's a sinful relationship, whether it's alcohol or a drug addiction or marijuana or a gambling addiction or impulse buying, whatever it may be in your world, there are lots of ways, guys, to medicate our souls when we're unhappy. And the scripture reminds us here that none of them work. None of them. The Bible here is saying these are all a part of the old self. You've been given the gift of the new self. And so as Galatians says, why are you returning to those weak and miserable principles? Why are you choosing to be enslaved and shackled all over again when Christ has made you free? You know, and then it gets a little bit more serious. If you look at what comes next, the scripture says because of these things, because of these sins, because of this wickedness in our lives, it says the wrath of God is coming. This does not mean, by the way, that we ought to speculate on the day or the hour uh, of when Christ is going to return or that we should believe it when someone says that they know the date and they know when Jesus is coming back. Christ himself says he doesn't know the day and the hour. Only the Father knows the day and the hour of his return. And even in this time, as we're seeing a lot of scary and wicked terrible and unjust things happening right now in our world, in our country. The message of scripture here is not guess the day that Jesus is going to return and win a prize. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's saying that God's justice is sure. God's wrath is sure that his return is certain. So we ought to be ready for it. What does that mean? It means if you never have, trust him as your personal Lord and Savior this day. And make sure that you continue to do what we've been called to every single day, which is share that same good news of salvation in Christ. What you have experienced, make sure that your family knows the truth. Make sure that those around you that you see and work with, that they know the truth of the gospel. That urgency, that need, and that reality is unchanged. because. 
God's eternal wrath is coming one day. You know, we tend to not like the idea of a God of justice in most, most cases because we think that if God is a God of justice, that may somehow threaten the idea that God is a God of love. I want us to remember here this morning that a God who lacks justice is a God who is not loving. We don't like it when injustice prevails. And we shouldn't. Let me remind you, neither does God. We hate injustice, so does God. And so when we see injustice of any type, our hope is in God. God is the only one who is fully just and at the same time, fully loving. That is the mystery and the beauty of the gospel. That God is holy and must punish sin with his justice and wrath. And yet that God is also loving and does not desire to punish us as we deserve. And that problem, that irreconcilable problem has been solved in the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the holy wrath and justice of God for sins that I committed that we committed, that we together have committed. Look at Romans 5, 9 explains this so beautifully. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I want to be super clear here too and point out once again that the goal here is not behavior modification. Okay? The goal here is salvation of your soul. Every religion, guys, in the world tells us, do better, try harder, be a better person, and then maybe if you're lucky, God will accept you. But Christianity, revealed in the word of God in the scriptures, says something totally different. The gospel says, I don't care how many times you have returned and run back to that same idol. I don't care how many times you've returned to that same broken addiction. The gospel says, I don't care how much you've ruined the relationships in your family or in your life or in your church. The gospel says, I don't care how much you have ignored my warnings or flaunted my justice or act unjustly towards another person. Come to me in repentance and lay your guilt down and lay your burdens and your sin down. Jesus says, I will pay the penalty for your sin, for your old way of life, and I will empower your new life. And guys, at times like this, it's so important to remember that the gospel is available to all people. Whether you would say, I'm an alcoholic, or you'd say, I'm that teetotaler who never has struggled in that area. No matter who you are, the gospel is available to you. No matter where you come from, no matter whether you think that masks are the solution at the moment or whether you think that dealing with the issue of people losing jobs is the major issue, regardless of where you happen to land any given day on the political spectrum, the gospel is for all people. It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter what race you are, whether you are black or white or Hispanic or Asian. The gospel is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
The gospel is for bad cops and the gospel is for good cops. The gospel is for racists and the gospel is for reconcilers. The gospel is for people who are peacefully protesting this week and the gospel is for people who are rioting and looting. The gospel is for George Floyd and his entire family and the gospel is for Ahmaud Arbery and his entire family, just like it's for my family. The gospel is the only hope. The gospel is the only hope of life, of justice, of salvation. It's all in Christ. As we think about the implication of that, putting off the old life because we've been resurrected with Jesus. Let's look number three at what it looks like to put on the new life. To put on the new life because Christ, because in Christ, you have been resurrected to it. Let's finish out this passage now looking at verses 12 through 17. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Listen, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, at the very beginning of this passage, in verses 1 and 2, we are told, Seek the things that are above and not on earth. You know, I burn, I waste so much time watching the news and scrolling through social media all day. And I come away, guys, every time feeling worse feeling worried and stressed and angry and hopeless. And it's all bad news all the time and it sucks you in. I'm not saying that we should bury our head in the sand. What the scripture though is saying is set your mind where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That the realities of Christ would define and allow us to discern everything else that happens here on earth. You know, a very practical way in God's word. For us as a church, that's the CBR, which stands for Community Bible Reading. And this week, it's been an encouragement to me as we've been finishing up 1 Chronicles and just being reminded of God's covenant faithfulness and his promises to David and to Solomon and to, to God's people, even though they were unfaithful all the time. And to read through Ephesians this week and to be reminded in particular God's love for his church, for his family, and that the church is at the center of God's purpose and even at the center of God's joy. That's why the scripture goes on here and says that as we approach the new life, that we do it as God's people Listen to these three words as God's people, chosen, holy, and beloved. Stop and think about that. That God views you in Christ, part of the family of God, as chosen, as holy, and as beloved. This is a heavenly perspective that reminds people, reminds families, reminds churches, and we pray would remind a nation of a new identity that we can have in 
Christ, a new identity that brings together people of every different ethnic, racial, religious, social, and political background into one family, into one unified family in Christ that the world has never seen. There is such a, a promise here that, that we see throughout the scriptures, just as, as Israel depended in the Old Testament on God's lovingly choosing them and making them his people. So now God forms his new covenant people by choosing them from among the whole world to be his church. Listen to the Old Testament here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to the language, the same words, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. Holy here means set apart for God because of God's grace and love. Beloved, because he chose to set his love on you, not because on our own we were lovely. This is not, as the scripture here makes it very clear, not a matter of pride or of bragging or of self-righteousness, but simply of thankfulness to be uh, in receiving God's love, that he would choose to set his love on us. And the implication then of that, the scripture goes on to say, is because of God's love for you, let that love, let that peace, and let that word dwell and rule within you. You believers, we would be wise to allow that application to navigate us as we see the world around us, as we share with those around us, as we interact with those around us, that we would let the love, the peace, and the word of Christ rule. He says, let the love of Christ rule. This is like Romans 13, 14, where he says, put on, like clothing, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us five more applications. He says, compassion, put on compassion, just as Christ had compassion on the masses. Put on kindness, just as Christ has shown you his goodness and kindness. Put on humility, just as Christ humbled himself even to death on a cross. Put on meekness, just as Christ used his strength to put you first rather than himself. Put on patience, just as God the Father has displayed patience towards you as a sinner. And above all these, put on love. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. He says something interesting here. He says, bear with one another. This is not a joyful thing. This is a begrudging thing. You're going to face people, he's saying, that are difficult and are even different than you. You're going to find them in your own home. You're going to find them in your church and you're going to find them in your city and in your world. And the scripture says, bear be patient with, be willing to deal with and even love people that are difficult to love, bear with one another. He says, forgive one another. It is going to be, has been, and always will be a normal occurrence that you have a legitimate grief with somebody else, that you have been wounded by someone else, that your complaint is valid. And the scripture says this, forgive one another because God has done it for you. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
in John chapter 14, real peace, real peace in your family, in your church, in our cities comes from Christ and only from Christ. That's how and why it says that we can be one body. You know, remember that the gospel is individual and that each one of us is called by God and each one of us must lay our lives down and say, Jesus, I want you as my personal Lord and Savior. No one else can do that for me. And yet at the same time, the gospel is corporate because we are all called and loved along with other people that we've never even met with whom we make one worldwide eternal family of God, the body of Christ. And he says this, let the word of Christ rule. My prayer is that the the word of Christ might rule in our church, that the word of Christ might rule in your family, and that one day soon that the word of Christ might rule throughout this land. We're reminded to let the message of Jesus Christ be at the center of of our worship, to be at the center of who we are as a church, to be at the center of our worship service, that it would be at the center of our teaching, that the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ would be at the center of what we sing, that it would be at the center of our new life. So that whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. What if the next words that came out of our mouth What if the next actions that came out of our mouth that we consciously thought, I am doing this in the name of Jesus. You know, I don't don't know where you are this morning. If you are a believer, maybe today is the day that Jesus is reminding you of his love, reminding you that he has poured out his wrath on somebody else already, that he has poured out his judgment on Jesus and you no longer stand condemned. And believer, even though you continue to struggle with sin of whatever type, of whatever addiction, whatever is going on in your life, that you keep coming back to it. Remember that you have been given salvation, that you've been given the Holy Spirit, that you can put off the old life afresh even today and say, Lord, help me put on the new life in Christ. And maybe this morning you're listening and you're going, I don't have that relationship that you're talking about. I don't know God in that way. In many ways, I'm like John Newton, that that maybe I've prayed a prayer or I've thought thoughts or I've investigated spiritual things, but I don't know the God who reconciles. I don't know Jesus as my savior. And I would urge you today, this very hour, to admit, Lord, I am a sinner. My sin is my fault and I recognize that you have made a way for my salvation. And so I'm laying my burdens down before you. Forgive me. Give me new life in Jesus today. And God will answer that prayer even in this very moment. Let's take a moment and let's pray together even now. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you. Our need is for you. Our need is for Jesus and the hope of the world is Jesus. And so, Father, with all of the things swirling around us in this world, in this country, even this week, even over the last several months, Lord, there's many things that we can be anxious over. But God, rather than living by fear, we come to you in trust. Father, rather than running to empty cisterns that hold no water, we repent of running 
to things that do not heal, things that don't even truly medicate. And we confess that what we need is you, Jesus, more of you. Father, forgive us for when we have run away from you. And Father, may we draw near to you. I pray for all of those who are listening this morning who have not yet experienced new life in Christ, that today might be the day that they cry out to you and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I need you. And Father, would they even now feel the burden of their sin removed and that they might be able to take up the new life in Christ because of your grace, because of your love, because of your forgiveness. Lord, we cry out to you for everything taking place in our country, especially this week. And we ask for grace to forgive through all of these situations. We pray for justice where there is injustice. We pray for grace where there is not. We pray for forgiveness where there is not. We pray for healing that would be centered around Jesus. And Father, for all those who are hurting, that they might find in their grief hope in Christ. Father, for all those who are guilty, that they might find hope in Christ. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Stick with us. Give us just a moment, and we're going to finish out in a special time of worship.